is to prepare you for the, the day of trial. Just that you might, might go through that trial having learned what you need to learn so that you can go through that trial well. And one trial that you go through may be the trial of your unexpected death. See, we can get so caught up in our lives that, 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 that the world just kind of passes us by and we just kind of walk like we've always walked. I read a poem this week called The Parade by Billy Collins. And it's a, he uses the, the motif of a parade to talk about our life. Listen to what he says. How exhilarating it was to march along the great boulevards in the sun flash of trumpets and under all the waving flags, the flag of ambition, the flag of love. So many of us streaming right along, all of humanity really, moving in perfect step, yet each lost in the room of a private dream. How stimulating the scenery of the world and the rows of roadside trees and the huge curtain of the sky. How endless it seemed until we veered, we veered off the broad turnpike and into the pasture of high grass headed toward the dizzying cliffs of mortality. Generation after generation we keep shouldering forward until we step off the lip into space. And I should not have to remind you that little time is given here to the rest, to rest on a wayside bench, to stop and bend to the wildflowers or to study a bird on a branch. Not when the young are always shoving us from behind and not when the old keep tugging us forward, pulling on our arms with all their feeble strength. Life is like a parade. For many people, just kind of, kind of caught up in the grandeur of the moment and just kind of pushed along from behind and pulled along from above and then off you go into the lip of space. Because there is this sweep of life that can pull us along and we can just be pulled along without even really thinking about what our life is about or we're thinking about even our end. And my message this morning, in light of the funeral, in light of New Year's, I, I couldn't help but to preach about our end. I think it's especially appropriate as we think about the New Year dawning. Of any time of the year, New Year's, when we think about our lives, we make resolutions about things that we might want to change about our lives. Maybe some weight that we want to lose, or some books that we want to read, or some time that we want to invest, or some skill that we want to develop. And, and, and these are all good. But the best investment you might take this New Year's time is a really a look at your life. Think about your life and think about the day of your death and see if you're headed on the path that you want to be on when you get to that day. And, and the, the New Year is a perfect opportunity to contemplate this. John Piper said, The last hours of New Year's Eve are like the ticking away of the final minutes of my time on earth. The 365 days leading up to the year's end are like a miniature lifetime. It's a great advantage to have a trial run at my own dying every year. Because if you, if you mess up at the end of a year, you can always say, okay, well, next year. Then maybe, maybe I can live better here this next year. Maybe I can seek Christ more passionately. Maybe I can pursue things of God more, uh, more strongly. 
And if at the end of the year you're not there, you always have another year, but there will be a time when that next year doesn't ever come. And so really I ask you, how are you spending your days? Are you satisfied with the ways your hours are ticking by? Are you living today in light of the day which you die? In the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards put together a list of some 70 resolutions that he resolved to live by. Perhaps you're familiar with those. I would encourage you to look them up and to understand them. And, and all of them are worthy being read and thought about. But I, want, I just want to read one of them for you. Resolution 17. Jonathan Edwards wrote this. Resolved that I will live so as I shall wish that I had done when I come to die. Isn't that great resolution? Resolved that I will live so that I wish that I would have lived when I come to die. Well, there's a psalm in the Psalter that I think helps us focus upon eternity and upon life and upon death and what is going to um, direct us today. And it's Psalm 90. So I invite you to take your Bibles and open up to Psalm 90. This is the oldest of the psalms we have in the Bible. It's written by Moses. Half the psalms in the Psalter are written by David. About a thousand BC. But this one's written by Moses. It's probably the oldest of all the Psalms that we have. In fact, it could be the oldest piece of Scripture that we have, with the exception perhaps of Job. Because Moses wrote the, wrote the Pentateuch, and he may have written Psalm 90 before the Pentateuch. We're not exactly sure. We don't know. But Moses has a thing or two to teaches about life, <coughs> having lived 120 years himself. And, and this psalm presents a contrast between the, the eternality of God and the short-lived life that we live. And in light of the contrast, calls us to live differently. Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream. And like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by Your anger. And by Your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before You, our secret sins in the light of Your presence. For all our days pass away under Your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even if by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with Your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. 
Make us glad for as many days as You have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let Your work be shown to Your servants and Your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The key verse of this psalm is right there in verse 12. If you write in your Bibles, I encourage you to do that. Put a big box around verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's where we get the title of my message this morning. Teach us to number our days. See, there's something about us which lets our, our days pass unnoticed and uncared for. And we move on from one day to the next with, with very little care and very little thought and very little numbering of our days. Very, very little thought of eternity or, or where we're going. See, too often we live even as if there's no eternity. Edward Payson, a great 19th century preacher, once lamented in his journal, he says, I act as if eternal things were a dream. Oh, when will I be wise? There's a call of verse 12. It's a, it's a call to wisdom. It's a call to know that indeed we do live in light of eternity. You know, knowing how much time you have left changes a lot of things. If uh, you're playing a ball game and time is ticking down, you play differently. Um, if you're ahead in the game, you take your time. If you're behind, you're frantic and you show some hustle. I saw a very interesting uh, article. I forget where exactly it was. I think it was in the newspaper about uh, during the World Cup this past summer about uh, the flops you know, that soccer players make. You, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. They're, they're running along and they get tripped and they fall. So they roll and roll and roll and they're screaming and agonizing in pain and they're holding their legs and they're, and they're just kind of writhing in pain for, for a while until the ball comes near and then they're up and they're running again. You know what I'm talking about? Well, it was interesting that someone charted out all the flops and all the injuries that were, were made. And it's very interesting is that when the teams were ahead, people got injured for a lot longer on average. But when they were behind, they were up and ready to play right away. Because how much time left indicates how you're going to play, whether you need to slow the game down or whether you need to speed it up. And and same is true. If, if, if you have a week until your term paper is due, <coughs> college students, if you have a week until your term paper is due, not a problem! In our case, you're out skateboarding with your friends, right? Or going to the beach or something like that. But if your term paper is due tomorrow morning... You brew some coffee and you start burning the midnight oil. Because how much time is left dictates how it is that we shall live. It's the same with our lives. Oh, that we knew when our end was, it would be a help to us. But we don't know. And therefore, we're supposed to live in light of eternity. But one of the things we do know is that our lives are incredibly short in compared with eternity, because if we truly knew how long eternity was and, and how short our lives are, I think we would live differently. And God wants us to live that way. God wants us to live in such a way that eternity is always before us. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says that God has put eternity into the heart of man. 
See, God puts eternity into our heart and He wants us to live in light of it. And when we do, according to verse 12, we will be wise. See, because when you see the end, you can persevere today. The, the one running a marathon can press through the pain knowing, knowing that he's a, he's a half hour away from finishing or an hour away from finishing. He just knows that once I get there, then I'm done. The musician can, can practice, deny him or herself the hours of, of pleasure because you've got to have the time practicing because the recital is coming. A student will study hard knowing the diploma awaits next year and after the diploma comes the job. With our lives, listen, the better we number our days, the more we will live for Christ. I just want you to think about this for a moment. I mean, think about some sin you battle. Maybe it's a, a sin of attitude, say some anger or impatience or joylessness or lack of love towards someone. Or, or maybe there's some physical temptation to, to gluttony or something else. Maybe there's some worldly pleasure that you engage in. Now suppose you knew that your days were coming to an end tomorrow. Could, could you overcome that sin for one day? Just one day? I bet you could. I bet you could. How about this? What if you knew that your day would end in two days? Could you, could you overcome that sin for two days? Knowing that soon you'd meet Christ and you want to meet Him in all His purity and righteousness overcome that. Could, could you do that? I bet you could. What about three days? What about a week? What about a month? See, that, that's, that's part of, uh, of numbering your days. And I do believe that if we would see the Lord clearly and see how short our days are, God would give us victory over our sin. Because every time we sin, we really demonstrate a lack of faith. Romans chapter 1 speaks about the process that everyone goes through when they sin. Is they know the truth of God. God's put eternity in our hearts. We know that our life here is very short. We know how infinitely holy He is. And every time we sin, it's an expression of our lack of faith. But should we see the Lord clearly, we'd walk in His ways. And that's my heart for you this morning, that you would see the Lord clearly. That's my heart for 2015 for you all, that you would number your days, that you would live more wisely than ever before. All right, Psalm 90. Let's just, let's just dig into this psalm. We're just going to work right through this psalm and see the message that, that Moses had for us. First four verses I'm calling our, our eternal God. Our eternal God, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever You had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. <coughs> These verses obviously speak of the eternality of God. That God goes from one generation to another generation to another generation. He can go to every funeral because He sees everyone die. And yet He continues on. It's the only place that we can be our, our dwelling place in all generations. And, and really, as it speaks about the eternality of God, it talks about how, how God is from everlasting to everlasting. How do you begin to understand that? From everlasting to everlasting. As A.W. Tozer translated, he said this, from vanishing point 
to vanishing point. God is the Lord. One man has suggested a way to visualize eternity is to, to take uh, an infinitely long sheet of paper. So imagine if you could, that spools off of the, the printing press. Just an infinitely long sheet of paper. Miles and miles, hundreds, millions of miles long. This, this whole strip of paper. And then he says, take out a pen. And he says, um, draw a short line on that piece of paper. And that line represents time. The rest is eternity. Now, now that line doesn't represent the time of your life. That line represents the time from the, the creation of the world to the time when the earth as we know it is gone and changed to a new heavens and a new earth. That begins to help you understand the vastness of eternity. You know, some, some of the ways the Bible talks, like say Isaiah chapter 40 speaks about how, how great God is, how big He is, how vast He is, how He takes the universe and with a span of His hand can, can span the whole universe. Right? Millions of light years across. He can span the universe like this. Or the, the strength, even Lebanon with all its trees, is too small to burn. And we see how big God is and how small we are and we worship Him. And, and, and these verses here, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, does the same thing with respect to time. Kind of shows you how, how big God is with respect to time. He, he stands out of time. He's a little bit like a, an author who has written a book who can see all things and all events all at the same time. As Isaiah 57.15 says, He inhabits eternity. We, on the other hand, being His created being, we live in time and we just know sequence. One thing happens and another thing happens and another thing happens, but God stands outside of time because He is everlasting to everlasting, inhabiting eternity. But it's not as if God doesn't care for us. As big as God is, He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And, and as long as He dwells, Still, we have found refuge. Our dwelling is in Him. Look at verse 1, right? Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. God takes us and lets us dwell in Him. And, and though He inhabits eternity, and though He's much bigger than we are, we can still find our rest in Him. And our life, by contrast, is nothing. That's what verse 3 and 4 are really talking about. You, you return man to dust, verse 3. These words take us back to the Garden of Eden when Adam, when God created, when Adam was created, he was formed from the dust of the ground. And then after he sinned, the Lord declared, by the seat of your face, sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. God makes man from dust. We live for a while and then we're back in the dust. Randy would be buried tomorrow and uh, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon in a private family ceremony and, and I'll be there to say a few things. And one of the things I'll say is ashes to ashes and dust to dust. It's where we, we come from. It's where we go. And it says here that God is the one who brings us back to dust. God is the one who says to a man, return a child of man. To dust. 
It's just his sovereignty over over our lives. See, David knew this very well when he says, Oh, Lord, Psalm 139, verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book. They were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. See, because this whole God is as out of time. He's got this book of life in the world, and his creation. He, he's writing in his book and, and he determines how long each of us live. In that book. It says, God has determined the number of days before there was any of them. He knows full well the day we'll be born. He knows full well the day we'll die. If only we knew that day. We don't know that day. But think about this. You are completely immortal until that day comes. That's what verse 3 is talking about. It's talking about that day when that day comes. It's talking about God establishing the, the beginning of time of our lives and determining the end of our lives. When Paul spoke to the Athenians on Mars Hill, he says this, that God determines the times and the boundaries of our habitation. Acts 17.26 God determines when our lives begin and when our lives end. God determines where we live. And He brings them to an end. All according to the counsel of His will. Isaiah 40, verse 10, that God declares the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things that have not been done, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all My purposes. God is the One who establishes when we live. See, God is so much bigger than our lives. And I just say, church family, embrace that. Embrace the hugeness of God. And live in light of, of eternity. And so when Moses says in verse 12, teach us to number our days, he first says that God has already numbered our days. So we need to learn what God already knows because He has numbered our days for us. And if anything will give you a purpose in His life, it's this. is that God has a plan for your life. God's got your days. You simply need to walk in that plan. Now, see, from God's perspective, our day on earth is but a moment. Look at verse 4. For a thousand years near Cyrus, but a yesterday is when it's past. Or so watch in the night. And I do believe, you keep this book analogy going, like Psalm 139 speaks about the book that God's writing, it helps because you can, you can read a book, say in the, in the Bible, and you can understand the creation of the world. You can understand Abraham, Moses. You can understand Jesus. And it's just right there. You can kind of see it in all perspective. And, and it says here, a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past. A, a thousand years like a day. Second Peter speaks about that. The patience of God. See, is it God, from God's perspective, He can wait a thousand years just like we wait a day. But it, you know what? It's, 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 it's better than that. He says a thousand years are like a watch in the night. A watch is about four hours. So a thousand years is about... Four hours. So we think about three o'clock this afternoon, about four hours from now. Can you wait that long? God can wait a thousand years in that time. Just it's just he's he's outside of time. He's transcendent of time. He's not bound by time like we are. So if a thousand years in God's sight are like a couple hours, it makes sense then why James calls our life a vapor that appears for a little time and then it's gone no more. Um, so vanishes. You know, but even James talks about from our lifetime, from our perspective, um, 
From God's perspective, certainly our life is like a vapor. From our perspective, though, life is like a vapor. And for those of you who are, who are getting older, you know that life is short. And in fact, it is interesting, the older you get, the faster life goes. <laughs> Isn't that true? Uh, I see Judy and Virginia over here. Yes, yes. It just goes zoom. It's like, like, like you're rolling downhill, like you're picking up speed and you're just getting faster and faster and faster. I remember when I was a, a kid, I can remember right, being eight forever and then nine forever and being 20 and 19 for a long time. But I can't even remember how old I am oftentimes now. I'm like, how, how old am I again? I have to ask Yvonne and sometimes I get it wrong. We need to learn the number of days, how quick, how quick it passes. One of the things that we're learning in our house is how quickly our children are growing up. They don't think they're growing up very quickly, <coughs> but they are. Um, in fact, what it, what it takes is people away from us for a little while to come back and then talk to us. Uh, Brandon, oh, Brandon Rust um, saw David just this past, just yesterday, and he saw him and said, "Whoa." Is that David? He's, he's, he's like a little boy now. But a year and a half since Brandon has really seen him or spent a lot of time with him and, and he grows. But from us, it's kind of imperceptible. But you've got to step back and it's like, how do we have two kids in college? How, how did that happen, Yvonne? I can't remember. And you all with little kids here, it's going gonna, it's gonna to just zip, zip. Soon you'll be home alone. And how easy it's to walk through life never, never thinking about the end or thinking that it will never end. This is how it's always going to be. Well, Moses thought about his end because people were dying all around him. In fact, we've seen the, uh, our eternal God in verses 1 through 4, and now we see our angry God in verses 5 through 11. You need to read these in, in light of, of Moses. And he was God's chosen instrument to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And uh, God miraculously used him mightily, working ten miraculous plagues through his hand. And finally, the people came out of the land. They came to the brink of the promised land and then they balked. Remember, they, they, they sent the twelve spies into the land. They came back. And uh, two of them gave a good report, Joshua and Caleb. He says, oh, the land flows with milk and honey. Let's take it as God has said. And uh, the other ten agreed. Says, "Yes, the land flows with milk and honey, but let the—they're too big, it's too vast. They're going to crush us. Let's not go." And of course, Israel followed the the ten. They said, "We shouldn't go in." And though they'd all witnessed the the powerful hand of God, they refused to trust Him in going into the land of Canaan. And God was angry at that generation. So the Lord said this, Numbers 14, 29, and 30, Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against Me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And so over the next 40 years, God struck down everybody over 20 years old at that time. And so Moses could write in verse 50, you sweep them away as with a flood. <coughs> they are like a dream. 
like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. and the evening it fades away. It says people are like, like this dream. You guys ever have strange dreams and you wake up and you're like, what? Now, what exactly a dream? And it's so clear and it's so unclear and it's discombobulated. And, and then just three days later, you can't remember what you dreamed unless you write it down. So likewise, our, our people, people rise up and God sweeps them away. They're like, they're like a dream. You know that all of us, I don't think there's a one of us who a hundred years from now will be remembered really by anybody. How's that for some perspective? Except maybe if your descendants are into genealogies, you know, and can can remember. But it's just going to be a very few short years. There's none of us here are going to be rocket famous, except maybe Nathan, who does some great things. Olympic, right? Yeah. Olympic Fencing, thank you. Olympic fencer. Right? Maybe Drew will build something like incredible. Who knows? Maybe some of your kids will be inventors. Maybe um, maybe Thatcher will be a rock star. That was great singing. I don't know. But the percentages are that, that we'll all go into obscurity. It would be like this, this dream that's forgotten about and God just sweeps away. And, and he used this il- illustration about the, the grass that, that renews in the morning, kind of sprouts up, and then by the afternoon sun it wilts away and it's done. And that, that continues to today. Seven billion people on this planet. You, you know how many people die every day? 150,000 people die every day. God sweeps the earth like a flood. He sees every single one of those who dies. And just they, they go off into their eternity, either with glory in Christ or to an eternity of suffering. Listen, and none of us are going to escape this fading glory. Right? None of us are plastic point setters that that we can put away in a closet and they're going to be there, right? We're, we're the real thing that we, we grow up and we, we turn red and then we're, we're done by February. And when it came to Israel, they all perished in God's wrath because God was angry with that generation. For we, Moses says, are brought to an end by your anger and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass under your wrath. We bring our years to end like a sigh. Just go like this, everybody. Israel's years, gone. Because as Numbers 14 says that they, they provoked the Lord ten different times. After they saw the ten plagues, there are ten different times. They, they complained that they, all they had was manna. They complained they didn't have anything to eat. They complained they didn't have anything to drink. They complained the water was bitter. They complained that people were rising up. They complained this and they complained that. Complained that. And God says, I'm done with you. He wipes out the generation and they're gone. He saw their sin. And by the way, he sees our sin as well. Verse 8. 
You set our iniquities before You, our secret sins in the light of Your presence. See, the secret sin on earth is a scandalous sin in heaven, known far and wide. And God hates the sin that's done on the earth. He hates the sin of believers. I heard one man say this. He says, which do you hate more, weeds in your garden or someone else's garden? God hates the sin in the church. He knows all about it. Because all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And were He just, the ways of sin is death. He would destroy us all in a moment. We deserve to die. But in His grace, He gives us years to enjoy. In fact, He gives us 70 or 80 years. Look at verse 10. The years of our life are 70. Or even if by reason of our strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. And though our life expectancy the last couple thousand years has been on the rise, maybe the last hundred years especially has especially been on the rise, <coughs> this statement is as true today as it was 3,500 years ago. A typical person lives 70 years, maybe 80. Now, certainly there are exceptions, you know, all all over the world to this. I mean, in fact, the Rockford Register Star, I'm not sure if you saw it this week, uh, there's a man named C. Conrad Johnson. You see this? Because, Phil, you read obituaries because that's your job. You see which of your clients have passed away, you need to deal with them, right? But, or see which of your friends have passed away or, or whatever. But, but he was certified as the oldest living man in America was living right here in Rockford, right underneath our nose. See, Conrad Johnson, born the youngest of ten children, born in Sweden. He married twice. First wife died in 1988, second died in 2002. He had no children. His only surviving relative lives in New Jersey. And he died when he was 110 years old, plus 338 days. He died just this past Tuesday morning. Rockford is famous. And um, he attributed his long life success to eating a bowl of oatmeal every morning and getting plenty of exercise. Now, if that works, wonderful. I'm not sure that's... I think it's God granted him super strength to get past 80 years another 30 years. But he's the exception. There are exceptions on the top and there are exceptions on the bottom. Randy Robine never made it to, to 70. There are plenty who die even younger than, than he did. Phil Gus had a classmate who died. He didn't even know he lived in the area. He's uh, 62 years old. He passed away. But the rule still stands, though. 70, if strength, 80. The older you get, the more that comes home to you. I, I'm halfway there. In fact, I'm almost exactly halfway there. I'm a... Uh, I'm, uh, how old am I? 47, right? I'm 47. So, 47 times 2. I'm 47 and a half, actually. Check this out. 47 and a half. Add that to... Actually, I'm a little more than halfway there. <laughs> I'm just realizing that right now. I thought I was halfway exactly. I'm more than halfway there. I need Psalm 90. And you need Psalm 90. Because many of you there, many of you are, are beyond that. 
In fact, consider the rhetorical question in verse 11. We all need this. It says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath against the fear of you? I mean, the answer is obvious. None of us really understand, none of us really comprehend the magnitude of God's anger and the magnitude of God's wrath upon us. And maybe we're shielded from it because we are believers in Christ and, and we're shielded from His wrath and we don't know and experience that. But certainly, certainly those in, in those days understood that. I, I think even us, shielded in Christ, never quite really fully understand how much of God's wrath we are shielded from in Him. And verse 11 says, none of us really understand. And that's why verse 12 is a prayer. So teach us, O Lord, to number our days. Because none of us, few of us, really do this. And those who do are taught of God to do it. I mean, look at how verse 12 is, is phrased. It, it doesn't, Moses doesn't say, So number your days, O Israel. That's not the exhortation. The, it's a so... Oh Lord, come into our life and teach us to number our days. It's not going to happen in your own strength like so many things in the Bible. God gives a command and you have not the strength to do it. But God strengthens you to do it. It's only going to come if God gives. It's only going to come if God teaches And in fact, this psalm concludes with prayer requests. It's just prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer. In fact, I count ten requests and and, and put them all under the banner of God's mercy is where I do. That's my third point. We've seen the eternal God. We've seen the angry God. Now we come to our merciful God. I just want to read 12 through 17. As I read them, I'll, I'll just point out all ten requests. One, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Two, return, O Lord. How long? Three, have pity on your servants. Four, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Five, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And for as many years as we have seen evil. Six, let your work be shown to your servants. Seven, the verb carries over. And let your glorious power be shown to their children. Eight, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Nine, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Ten, yes, establish the work of our hands. I just want to quickly work through these ten requests. We've spent enough time on on verse 12. The first one, teach us to number our days. The second one, return, O Lord. Verse 13, it's a a prayer for revival. It's calling God to return to us. Show, Show Your favor to us. In Israel, for Moses, in the wilderness, this would have been entirely appropriate. Because God just says, okay, I'm going to leave you to, to the wilderness. You're going to die there. And God says, no. Moses says, no, 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 return to us. And I think we likewise should pray this prayer. 
God, return to us, revive us. And, and the question, how long? That's just an expression of angst. Just said, God, <coughs> how long is it going to be until you stir in our hearts? To teach us, to know us, to be with us. Third request, have pity on your servants. Verse 13. It's a cry for mercy. It's a cry for help. It's a cry for compassion. See, we bring nothing to God but begging His mercy. Isn't that how you come to Christ? You don't come to Christ with anything you got. You come to Christ totally begging His mercy. Remember the publican beating his breast. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the one that goes down justified. Not the one who comes with anything. So the hymn writer says, Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. And that's what he's saying. Just have pity on us, your servants. Fourth request, satisfy us with your steadfast love. And here's where we see hope of the Gospel coming in. It, it's here where we see the, the, the true delight coming in of God. Yet, I mean, my, my message this morning so far has been pretty dark as we think about our, our, uh, our life and how short it is. But there is joy here. There, there's joy that can be had in life that says satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. God's steadfast love is translated in some translations loving kindness. It's some translations mercy or love or covenant love. It, it speaks about the enduring faithful love that God has for His people. Best shown in Jesus who, though we are sinners, yet He still loved us and gave Himself up for us and for our sins. God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we are sinners, yet Christ died for us. And the prayer request here is, is for joy in the Gospel, for joy in that steadfast love. It's joy in God's faithful love to His people through Jesus Christ. And that ought to give you joy. Amidst, the, amidst all the troubles and trials and shortness of life and, and, and death and darkness, there still is, is delight in the steadfast love of God that He's not given up on us. And it's not that He's not given up on us because we do so good. He's not given up on us because it's the character of His love not to give up on us. Verse 15, the fifth request, Make us glad... For as many days you have afflicted us, for as many years we've seen evil. And Moses is saying this, is that we've been afflicted for many years. And it's been really hard. And so God, let's make a deal in the best sense of the word. As many days we've been afflicted. Oh God, give us blessings for that many days on the back end. Return graciousness for the days of sorrow and difficulty. Praying for 40 years of gladness. You know what? God answered that prayer. If you just look through the history at the end of Deuteronomy into Joshua, Joshua picked up the leadership after Moses died, brought him into the promised land, and things were well with them. Well, not perfect, but things were well with them for a generation of Joshua. It's not till Judges when you see Joshua passing away and then there's troubles. So God answered this prayer. And maybe you're going through some trials. I just think of the arm Brewsters. This would be a great trial for you guys to pray. Great prayer for you to pray. God, as much as we've had these trials, turn, turn those into years of gladness and goodness. It would be a great prayer that God might answer for you. Verse 6, the sixth one, verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants. What, Paul, what, what Moses is praying here for is, is the next generation. See, this generation had seen the mighty works of God, and then they disbelieved Him. But he wants them to, to show them again, to show them to the next generation. And, and the idea is the same in the seventh command. 
Second part of verse 16, let your glorious power be shown to their children. See, it's not, not just to us, but it's to our children. God, make yourself known to us. What a great prayer even that you can pray for your kids. Because perhaps you're here this morning, you've seen Christ. I mean, that's the reason why you're here. You've seen Christ. You've seen all His glory. Maybe your kids haven't seen that. I know one of the things that we constantly talk about with our family is how, how Von and I grew up. We grew up in churches that didn't really take God so seriously. Her church, more God was kind of more fun and cool. In my church, it was more like deadness. And we say, guys, you don't know what it was like to be in those places and now to be in a place where the Word is saturated and is there. And, and essentially we're saying just, you got to see, you got to know how different it is. And, and they're saying, well, we could tell you about all the miracles He did, the plagues, but God, come and show them your power. Presumably they would, they would believe and trust or the eighth command, eighth prayer request. It's not a command, it's a prayer request. Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. It's a simple prayer for grace. Oh God, may your grace be upon us. You're looking for something to pray, pray for God's grace in your life. Pray for God's favor in your life. Or the nine and ten, this is repeated. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Again, this is, this is mercy. Rather than being consumed with God's wrath, Moses simply prays for God to work through those in Israel. Right, make us productive. Let us work. Let us not die, but let us live and work. That you'd see the work of our hands. That you'd prosper us. Well, maybe you can see this idea that, that all ten of these requests are all, pray, all prayers for mercy. God's mercy begins this psalm, that He's our dwelling place. God's mercy ends this psalm, that He would give us satisfaction and joy in Him. There's our eternal God, our angry God, and our merciful God.